Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, the Gurus has... Doug, one of our supporters, says Mark, and a um, big shout out to Doug. Vetgurus.com is the place to be, and um, oh, it's been a bit of a big big week or two. I've been jetting here and there, Mark, and that's our main topic this week, which I won't jump ahead <laughs> of myself, even though I just have. Um, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? While you've been swanning around the countryside, did you see what I did there, swanning around the countryside? Oh, um, I, get it. <laughs> I, I have been at work. We've been um, slugging away at work. It's been uh, particularly this time of year. One of the things about our practice is that we have had, um, we have a seasonal. You know, it's busiest in uh, spring and summer when. Um, Birds and reptiles are reproductively active, and the fleas come around. But we've we've never been a hugely um, seasonal practice, but there has been a little tendency to seasonality. Um, but that's been wiped off the board, Brendan. We're just busy all the time now, and um, and yeah, we've had a, a a big week with some complicated cases, and um, it's been fun. Why wouldn't you be busy with the number of? Excellent vets you have, and and lay staff, nursing staff, technicians, um, bookkeepers, accountants, lawyers. You've got the works, haven't you? Your practice, and it just gets bigger and better. Well, one of the things I did, Mark, and um, I sort of mentioned the might chat about it. I I went and I voted. I voted early um, at the um, for those of you who who. Um, are not from Australia. The national, um, the Australian national elections are on this weekend, and um, you do have the option of voting early if um, you can't be bothered trying to run the gauntlet of all the people trying to hand you leaflets on on election day. Although it's I been controversial, that- Brendan, it's been really controversial. I think um, there's something like uh, uh, twelve or fifteen eligible uh, million eligible voters, and um, at last count, you being amongst them, one and a half million of them have voted pre-polling, and um, and geez, it, you're missing out on the the uh, you the know, barbecue the, with the sausage sizzle, yes. the democracy sausage. Yes, that's right. The um, the vegan sausage, as you would be having um, at your local voting area. Well, it was it was a bit of a well. I, I was gonna, going to say it was a bit of a non-event, but uh, there was a bit of an event, Mark, that happened at the voting centre. And um, let me fill fill you in. Um, it was you'd be shocked. It was nothing to do with me. Actually, it was nothing. To, well. No, it wasn't actually. Um, so we went in to vote, and, and we we managed to sneak into the voting centre without the um, the people giving out the how to vote cards um, seeing us. Actually, I don't know how that happened because you know how they're pretty they're like little terriers, aren't they? And the people with the how to vote cards, regardless of what what um, what persuasion you are with voting and um, Annie's a little bit bolder than me. She, she'll just um, um, burst through them and just take <laughs> how to, how to vote card of, a, of, of, of the, um, 
of the um, party or parties she wants to vote for and the other one she just stares them in the face and says, I don't want your vote cards. <laughs> I'm a little bit um, embarrassed to do that and I tend to just let everybody hand me their how to vote cards and at the end I put them all back into the recycling or I give them back to them. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we turned around this little corner near this early voting section as we parked in the car park and got out of the car and walked to it and... Um, they were there handing out the hat of vote cards and they, they didn't see us. They were chatting away to themselves and we just walked past them and went into the um, into the uh, into the electoral office, the temporary electoral office, which made it a bit tricky because then I didn't know how to vote for Mark. I didn't have a how to vote card. But as we were queuing up to give our names and have our names ticked off the registrar and have the usual questions. Have you voted again? Have you voted again today? <laughs> have you voted before? Um, which I, I try and honestly say, no, I haven't. Um, there was one of the electoral officials berating somebody. There was this poor woman, this young girl, who by the look of it, she'd, she'd taken that huge Senate voting paper mark, which has lots, you know, it's about it's about um, one metre long. and It's and, collo- um, colloquially known as the tablecloth. It is massive and it literally is, or it's probably over a metre mark, um, with all the names of the potential parties and, and um, candidates that you can vote for. And she'd made a mistake. She'd made a mistake. And when you go into those little cardboard booths, um, where um, you have your little pencil there and you do your vote in, there's basically only two things that's written in front of you by the Electoral Commission and one says, you know, Australian Electoral Commission and the other one says, um, if you've made a mistake, don't worry, just um, hand in the paper and you can get another one. And that's exactly what she'd done. But um, this, um, and she was being frog-marched across the room in front of everybody with this um very petty of electoral officials saying, well, stand here. And she made a stand right in front of us and says, stand here, don't move. Now, you're going to have to vote again. And she took her vote card or vote um, voting paper and, and folded it up a bit like origami and then held it literally, and I'm not joking, held it up in front of her face and, and just dramatically um, ripped it into, into shreds in front of her and says, you cannot use this one again. Stand there and you'll have to wait till we give you another voting paper. Yeah, so it was... It was I was trembling, Mark, when I was Glad you didn't I make a trembling. mistake. So, yes. Um, so... But um, yeah, so I, I almost, I almost missed putting a, a mark in the pirate party. Mark, um, I saw that the pirate party were there again this year, and um, I was all I can say. <laughs> and um, yeah, so there you go. That's my little event that we had at voting, which has bored everybody. But um, I think I filled in, um, I filled in um, the correct minimum and number, and um, we'll but see. You don't, you know, how, not, how many? If you were to fill in all. So we had an election recently in New South Wales a couple of weeks ago and um, yes. and it took me 15 minutes to fill out the 181 boxes below the line to ensure that uh, the evil bastards that I didn't want to get elected were voted last. Um, but how many boxes did you have to fill out if you didn't do the minimum on the tablecloth? How many numbers would you have? I must admit, I I didn't look, Mark, and I did do the minimum, which was, and I and I certainly have gone for the whole hog and done the full number previously. Um, the minimum was 
six if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, so you have to do at least six. And tell you what, I was struggling to find six. <laughs> I was particularly interested in voting for it. It's been a bit of a tricky one, but um, yeah, we better stop talking about politics because, you know, politics is one topic that often turns people off things, isn't it? Not me. I'm a bit of a policy wank. Uh. Oh, yes, yes, you are. Well, with that um, non-segue, Mark, I'm going to talk about bumblebees um, for our first news article. And uh, I don't know about this one. Um, you have it's, expressed it's, doubts about it from the moment you've put it up. The moment I picked it out. So why did I pick it out? Well, let's see if we can pick something of use in this article. Why do bumblebees have stripes is the title of this article. So... You know, the bottom line is basically that they've evolved of all these, you know, there's roughly 250 species of bumblebees with over 400 different colour patterns, according to the article, that basically mix and match the same few colours over different segments of the bee's body. And what they think it is is that they just they just keep the little stripes on there regardless of the fact that they don't like to go on stinging sprays and not all bumblebees sting. Um, so they're using mimicry, Mark, um, mimicry. And they, I'm trying to think that they used a particular term in this that I thought was... Mullerian mimicry. Yes, there we go. Mullerian mimicry. It waves the same pattern flag. Um, so... Predators have been conditioned to associate certain colours with toxicity and therefore if they do that, then they'll say, look, keep away from me. I'm a bumblebee. I'm potentially going to sting you. So so nick off and don't stay near me. Um, that's all I really got out of the article, Mark. <laughs> so I don't know. There was going to be a bit of a twist in it, I thought, but no, there isn't. Um, so it was semi-interesting, but I'm going to leave it at that. What's your <laughs> first story? My first story is... Just, well, it's a bit, um, I don't even know how to introduce it. It's from, um, well, I've seen it in a number of sources, um, but uh, this article points out it's a Territorian story, the Northern Territory in Australia. And for our overseas uh, listeners, the Northern Territory is, how would you put it, Brendan, frontier country? It's the Wild West, <laughs> even though it is... The north. Um, yes. Anyway, in the Northern Territory, just recently, they've uh, picked up on the road a, a short distance from Humpty Doo. Um, uh, they on the Arnhem Highway, they found a forty centimeter. For, sorry, where was that? Uh, forty. Uh, the, the, from where? Near Humpty Doo. Oh, okay, is that an actual place, Humpty Doo? Yes. For our overseas of listeners, um, they may be. It's, they may be it's incredulous. About, um, Forty kilometres down the Arnhem Highway from downtown Darwin, Brendan. <laughs> yes, I know it is, but um, some of our overseas listeners might may um, may think it's quite an unusual name for town. But that's pretty typical. I, I, I thought they would think most Australian towns had a name akin to Humpty Doo. <laughs> Perhaps they do. Now, I'll stop interrupting you and you can continue on. The 40-centimetre juvenile carpet python, um, um, one of the Darwin carpets, was uh, was born with three eyes. Um, it was uh, a um, developmental abnormality which uh, resulted probably the same sort of uh, 
embryonic uh, failure that leads to um, those uh, twins. Um, and so there's been inappropriate development that's led to a, um, a strange-shaped head. Unfortunately, the the um, reptile in question didn't survive because the uh, it wasn't able to eat well with the the you know the shape of its head the peculiar um, shape of its head um, and um, and the three eyes uh, were were all functional eyes um, uh, not uh, which um, which is a little bit unusual for some of these uh, these forms of congenital abnormality. I have an embarrassing. I don't get embarrassed about names like Humpty Doo, but the people in the in the yes. Northern Territory christened this snake, um, and I'm embarrassed to say it, Brenda, but I have to, Munty Python. <laughs> how, how sad <laughs> is that? Um, apparently, the uh, posts and videos that um, uh, of the snake um, uh, have been like you know gone viral, as you would expect, putting the territory on. In, um, on the global map as a tourist destination if you want to see three-eyed snakes. And in a nod to the Game of Thrones, which I don't, I'm one of the few people, I have no idea what this means, Brendan. You being a Game of Thrones aficionado will have a, a complete understanding. But apparently there's a three-eyed raven and uh, the Facebook post with the snake uh, in question suggests the three-eyed snake warns the dry is coming. Uh, yes, so it's a pun on, yes, Northern Territory being in the driest probably, well, I was going to say state, it's the territory, isn't it, Mark? So it's the dry region of Australia predominantly, apart from when they have the wet <laughs> <laughs> up and down. <laughs> um, because winter is coming. Is um, Won't you winter is here in Game of Thrones? Um, and I'm going to give away a few um, um, spoilers here now. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, so I'm, I am throwing thoroughly enjoying the last season of game of thrones although i had to laugh the other day because one of sophie my youngest daughter um daughter's friends um decided that she um, wanted to get in on this game of throne thing and um decided she wanted to start watching the series um and catch oh up goodness. she said um, binge watch and the full are- seven series yeah, we're into series eight, and I think it's something crazy, like almost a hundred episodes. I think so. I think it's going to be a while before she gets to episode one of the current and last series, series eight. So good luck to her. Um, the dry is certainly coming for her if she doesn't have a glass of water in front of her. Yes. So um, yeah. So the three, three, three. I'd snake mark up in the Northern Territory. I could, gee, there's a million jokes about Territorians, isn't there? there? Let's but, let it go. Let it go, gr- Brendan. Let per- it go. Perhaps it's a guru snake, Mark, with that third eye, oh. with that third eye there, Monty Python, yes. It can be an honorary guru um, snake, yes. So, yes, it was, I must admit, it is a pretty spectacular photograph of of. Monty Python that um, I can see in front of me right this minute, Mark. So, yes, good story, Mark, good story. Um, Almost as good as your second story, which I'm looking forward to. I've got another dud story, my second one. Are you sure you didn't choose these ones, Mark? Was it me? 
It was me, wasn't it? Yes. Um, dogs can tune out noise just like people at cocktail <laughs> parties is my story. It's a story that everyone wants to hear. Um, and, well, what's the bottom line with this one? It's it's that dogs can listen and listen to tone of voices and filter out their master's tone or their owner's tone, for example, in a cocktail party. Now, a bit of a, a bit of a giveaway here, Mark. We don't have too many cocktail parties at home, so I can't test this little theory. Although we did have a little bit of a party or two at the conference that was recently on that we'll be chatting about shortly, Mark. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a study that was done um, at University of Maryland. Um, scientists finding that our little furry companions can perceive their name spoken at the same intensity as or louder than background noise. That's basically the summary with it. And um, the thing that it, it sort of annoys me about this is that um, my dogs ignore <laughs> me no matter what, whether we're in a, in, a, in a party situation or not. They just look up at me and say, oh, God, it's him again, and um, just keep lying there, <laughs> um, which actually they are. I'm just turning my head here. Yes, they're they, both sitting quite They're continuing to recognise your voice and ignore it as usual. They're being good. Um, although the very last line in this article, which is from National Geographic, says um, dog owners shouldn't be, or the sec- two last lines, dog owners shouldn't be frustrated if their dog doesn't respond to his or her name, his or her name in a noisy environment, like busy streets or crowded parks. She says, "Your dog isn't being stubborn. He actually might just not be able to understand you." <laughs> which I think that sort of, you know. Oh, the whole idea of the I whole do love those articles so, where they start with a premise, they uh, prosecute it um, elegantly and thoroughly and scientifically, and then they conclude with a um, tearing it down. Yes. yes. Well, there you go. So they're two pathetic little articles there, but hopefully gave a bit of a smile on somebody's face. I wouldn't be smiling for this last one. You would, Brendan. If you met Michael, I'm sure, I'm sure there would be a smile on your face. Um, This is, uh, my last one is the story of uh, Michael Cardenas. Uh, um, The article in question describes him as an imposing figure, muscled, tattooed, and downright massive. So you guys would get on like a house on fire. And... uh, that's how you describe yourself on um, on um, those dating apps, isn't it? <laughs> then there's that steely law enforcement strand that runs through every fibre of his being. Um, he's 14 years with the Sheriff's Office, SWAT team member, and now Homeland Security agent. He loves Harley Davidsons. He runs a warrior dog foundation with attack German shepherds and rescues them. Um, so he has a, a Harley Davidson. He's like... The tough man's tough man um, who lives in Grovetown, Georgia. Um, but he's a, he's a stereotypical reptile owner. <laughs> Be careful, Brandon. Be careful. <laughs> um, but as is often the case with, uh, um, we've got a sort of lolly here in Australia. Um, uh, a chocolate lolly, which is extremely hard on the outside, but when you bite into it, it has a relatively soft, gooey centre. Um, and um, and I think you could describe Michael like that because he has a hummingbird. He has a hummingbird that visits him, Brendan. Um, he has a hibiscus plant 
near the front porch and a ruby-throated hummingbird uh, visits the plant and has a feed each year. And what's more, the bird, uh, like many of these um, hummingbirds, uh, has great faith in its ability to um, evade predators, being such excellent flies as they are. And what does this bird do but buzz around the well um, hairless head of our star um, and lands comfortably in his palm. And so there's beautiful photos in this article of our tough uh, law enforcement friend with a beautiful ruby-throated hummingbird sitting on his little finger. Um, And obviously the bird buzzes off and has a feed on the nectar from the hibiscus. The bird looks a little bit... Worse for wear. It, its judge, its judgment might be compromised uh, by exertion and um, and anorexia. I wonder, Brendan. I think. Well, my concern with this story, Mark, reading—I was going to say reading between the lines, but actually reading, reading the actual the lines. When he picked up this bird the first time and um, and uh, rehabilitated it, he said. Um, Several of the um, several. What did he say? Their wings are almost like plastic. They're trans. <laughs> they're transparent. Bend them around. Yes. Well, their wings are like plastic. He says they're transparent. Several of these have broken, <laughs> so we couldn't gain flight. So I think it was a pretty damn sick bird. So perhaps the reason why it, it, it keeps coming back to him is because it can't fly. <laughs> And it um, just sort of hovers a tiny bit and then gets exhausted and falls back into his palm. That's my theory anyway. So, yeah. Well, good on, good on Michael and, for, for um, holding his hand open for uh, one of the cutest little birds there is. And, and hopefully your assessment just by reading the lines is, is slightly inaccurate and the bird's happy and healthy and flying away away from the porch. Even as we absolutely speak. good luck, good luck, twin. And um, I won't be going to Grovetown, Georgia, anytime soon, Mark. Um, in case um, he spies me and I'm in big trouble. But yeah, good on him. Good on him. He's got a um, his gooey on the inside, <laughs> as you say, there, Mark. So our main talk, our main topic, our main item, our main chat is news. About, it's our main chat. news, Brendan is the recent Australian Veterinary Association annual conference, which I attended, as you well know, Mark, and I think you wanted to just quiz me on a couple of things about what, what happened there. I, I was very, very keen to get your opinion. Obviously, some of us had to stay behind and work and didn't get to enjoy the um, the uh, the conference. And I know you uh, attended the UPAV stream, but you also, before you... um got to the UPAV stream, you did a, a bit of um, a, a few seminars. The, the president, was it the president's workshop? Uh, what was that one on the weekend? The title, the, the very, um, I was going to say nobly titled, but the very loftily titled Group the Summit, group Mark, was Group Summit was meetings, um, well, a meeting that went all day on um, the Sunday, which um, discussed several different things. It was, yeah, the presidents of all the groups and the AVA board 
and they do a bit of workshopping and um, I um, you know you know it's a pretty heavy workshop when they get out the butcher's paper mark and the, and the pens um, and they get the little boards out and that's when that's when um, a few eyes start to roll into the back of the head and um, but we got stuck into it and it was quite quite interesting I mean one of the serious topics that they did chat about was uh, the decline in membership of, of veterinary associations worldwide and um, also touched on briefly about the difficulty of, of, of getting members to to put put some work into it you know to help out to put their hand up um, and, and and join these committees um, that was one of the dogs who just sneezed you may have heard in the background um, it was not me although I did pick up a virus at the conference I'll tell you about that in a second mark if I don't remind me um, so yeah the decline in membership in conferences and I think it's multifactorial um, um, which often people say to, to try and make it um, an easy way out but um, I, th- I think the difficulty is there's so much continuing education these days, Mark. I mean, back in the day when we when we were young graduates, there was really only one or two places that you could go every year um, for continuing education to meet up with colleagues, um, and that was the Australian Veterinary Association annual conference was 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 the main main event. And and these days, gee, I, I get bombarded. I don't know about you, Mark, with with lots of emails about free webinars that are available. Um, and 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 pay webinars as well, and some of them are fantastic as well. So, so I think the trend is to to do education, continuing education on your own time, um, in your own lounge chair, um, or on the train, or whatever. And um, it's diluted the the need for for certainly some people to to attend these face to face conferences. So I think that's got a big part to play, Mark. Um, the second one is the I think the value that people see or don't see, even more importantly, with some of these associations, is that they don't see the behind the scene, you know, lobbying and on behalf of the profession that that um, some of these groups do and some of these committees do um, to government, to industry, um, and 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 pushing the, you know, pushing the values of veterinary science and and their members and and. People don't see it, you know, and they spend lots and lots of hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, promoting the the industry and not just the Australian Veterinary Association but all the others. And um, unfortunately, members don't see the value um, in all they really see. Some non-members is X dollar in front of them and say, why would I join that um, particular group of people if um, it's going to cost me several hundred dollars? And it's not until you need them often that you realise the value, you know, and and the other sort of value-added things that people often don't realise are the mental health. You know, they have a 24-7 mental health service if somebody's running into trouble that can help out and the benevolent fund which gives out lots of money to people. Um, who are struggling at, um, for various reasons. So, yeah, um, I think it's trying to push those sorts of things with it. Um, and, you know, the, I think the other thing, the other reason why there's decreasing number of um, members here anyway, and I think it may be the same in some of the other countries, is the increase in internationalisation of, of the um, of the veterinary schools. So we have a, a much larger percentage of overseas students here, Mark, don't we, um, compared with when we went through and they'll go back to their respective countries um, usually um, where they um, were um, brought up and, and they'd think, gee, why would I bother 
join in the Australian Veterinary Association, for instance, if if I'm going to practice back in my own my, my country that I was raised in, and I can see that point. But um, yeah, so that's some of the things that we chat about in the group summit. Summit, and I, and I was I was fortunate enough to to be there, but um, and to stay awake. Um, no, it was great, um, and there were some really good talks. It was about the um, gender inequality um, by by. Paula Parker, who's the um, the retiring president, she had a really good chat about um, about the statistics um, worldwide, um, the gender gap um, in the in the veterinary profession, and yes, it was quite enlightening, Mark. So that was the the pre conference group summit, which was on the Sunday. I arrived on the Saturday um, and um, had the group summit on the Sunday, and then the conference started. Commenced but on before the we get to the um, exotic stream on the Monday, um, tell me about um, the infamous BC virus. Well, yeah, I picked up the virus at the actual conference, Mark. Um, it was, well, I almost, I was so, so close to picking up Campylobacter. Um, I, was, I was just, just, I was just, I was literally half a metre away from picking up Campylobacter, but I ended up picking up Zika virus instead, Mark. So let me explain. One of the um, trade exhibits there was Agriculture Victoria and um, they had a really good display um, and they were chatting about um, the importance of not dispensing antibiotics um, to every animal that walks into your clinic. And as part of that promotion, they had lots of fluffy animals and that you could um, fill in a survey and take one or more of them home. And um, I um, got to select which ones I want, one I wanted to take. And I, I like the look of Zika virus. So I've got a little Zika virus fluffy toy um, sitting at work there, Mark. But yeah, Campylobacter was one of the other one. I think E. coli was another one as well. So there was a number of viruses you could select from. I ended up with Zika. Um, so that's what I, and my, um, and that's got um, Patch. Fired up here. Okay. Um, she wants to go okay. outside and, and try and eat a possum. We had we had some sad news um, the other um, two days ago. We um, our neighbours have chickens and um, they no longer have chickens. Um, and um, it was not sad. our dogs. Um, a fox got into the lot. Mark. Um, they had about a, half a dozen chickens and they're all gone and i think the fox had done what foxes i don't know why maybe they like the tasters and they tend to rip off the heads i don't know whether it's a, a melbourne thing mark or whether the foxes do the same in your neck of the woods but when they kill the chickens they tend to um, um rip them apart and pull the heads off um and that's exactly what it had done they tend um, to be to very inef- like they you know don't use the whole carcass they often do just take a piece of it yeah, well, that's that's how I realised that they'd only just taken a piece because a couple of them had been sort of slaughtered near our boundary mark, and um, they managed to try and fly. And I think they'd been hit because their dogs sleep inside at night. Um, they it, it had jumped the fence and then um, finished them off and um, taken off the heads um, because the next morning the next door neighbour had looked at the chook house and there was slaughter everywhere and um, there was a couple of them mis- missing because last night I found um, Patch was wanting to go outside and she managed to find one of the carcasses and was having a, a right old chew on a bit of raw chicken. So, yeah, so that wasn't um, wasn't very nice. But, yeah, so um, perhaps she thinks there's another 
chicken out there and that's why she wants me to let her out at the moment <laughs> so that's a bit off topic there mark so yeah basically that's the virus i caught i caught zika virus but it was quite a cute little did you like that um yes and on each of the little virus fluffy um toys there um they had a little label on them and they explained about that particular virus that you were given. So it was quite good. I really enjoyed I really liked it. I want to collect the whole set, Mark. Um, I'm a completionist and I want the whole set. So Has anyone mentioned- I want Campbell back to- <laughs> Has anyone mentioned that you're a bit of a nerd too? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you know that. Yeah, you know that. So there you go. That's how I so got what the, about virus. the what about so, the actual yeah. uh, UPAV um, uh, stream? Was it was, what, what was it? Good? Did you enjoy it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The bits I saw because I unfortunately that was on the Tuesday. We had a session. A stream um, for the whole day um, for the Unusual Pet and Avian Veterinarians um, group and I managed to see probably two-thirds of them because unfortunately halfway through it I had to quickly nick back to my hotel to check out because I had to catch a, a, a late afternoon flight back, although it was very delayed and I ended up arriving um, way after midnight, Mark. I think they, they, it's the fastest I've ever um, flown from Perth to Melbourne. Um, it, it is normally a tailwind and I think it takes about three and a half hours, um, three and three quarter hours, but because I think they were worried about beating the curfew or whatever, I think there must still be a curfew at Melbourne Airport They because um, they left probably at least an hour late. Oh, wow. um, they um they just hit the hit the afterburners and I and I think um I don't know how they did it we're still pretty late but um it only took just on three hours or just under three hours Mark um, to get from Perth to Melbourne so but I think we were the very last flight that um, was landing at the airport and it was absolutely deserted when we got back home so yes I, I managed to see a few of the exotic streams um, um, the usual there our, our doctor um, associate professor Bob Donnelly um, was um, first up with a bird um, top 10 top 10 things to think about when you're doing surgery on an uh, avian patient and you can probably um, patch is pretty fired up here. I, I might have to get. I might have to cross cross to you to do to a do monologue, monologue, Mark. I can. Um, I'm, I'm, yes, you, while I, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to flick off my microphone, and you can do a monologue <laughs> on something. And and guess what? You can you can chat about anything you like because I'm going to. You'll probably be, you'll probably um, edit this bit out okay. anyway. So, um, I will. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, go for it. Go so for while it. Brendan's away, I will just touch on the fact that. Um, uh, that that the I really did miss uh, going to the conference, and it's always interesting that at the AVA National Conference, the the um, we generally get a, an excellent array of um, introductory UPAV topics. So each of the conferences that I go to have I sort of think of them as uh, serving a purpose to introduce me to. Uh, I'm back. Introduce me to, to you know, sort of like the basic level of stuff, and then a more advanced level, and then obviously the master classes. But I was just saying, Brendan, in the bit that you're going to cut out, um, that I really like the AVA conference because it does do a lot of the um, the excellent introductory stuff when people are trying to 
get their head around um, uh, unusual and exotic animal medicine, avian work. Um, going to AVA conference, yes. uh, the the sort of emphasis in the UPAV stream is on that um, introductory stuff, opening the doors so people feel comfortable. And that's, you know, Bob does an excellent job with his presentation on 10 things to think about while you're doing avian surgery um, to just like open people's mind to the techniques that might be tweaked from the usual things they do with dogs and cats that might make surgery a bit better with birds. Absolutely. Yeah. No, those are, those are really good bits and they were, the, were a couple of talks that were a little bit, a little bit more advanced um, as as well. But yeah, Bob, gee, he's got his talks down pat now, um, and and, and he and he's a very well seasoned speaker, Mark. And um, yeah, it was ex- excellent, excellent. That's that's. Uh, um, I'll leave it at that. It was it was great. Um, there was also um, Mike, uh, Mike Cannon, um, Kelly. Giles was the convener, so um, was fr- a local from Perth, and she also spoke about – what did Kelly speak about? She did a 15-minute one on um, head tilt um, um, and nystagmus and dealing with um, inner ear and, and e. caniculi summary in rabbits. Um, Jerry, the rabbit vet from Melbourne, who I know very well, um, she had a very thought-provoking presentation and um i walked out three quarters of the way through it <laughs> to catch a plane um not, <laughs> to catch my plane um she chatted about her topic was um diarrhea or sloppy intermittent soft stools um abnormal um first pass drop-ins in in rabbits plus or minus diarrhea and she had a had a theory mark you would have loved it she had a theory and um it was it was a bit of an anecdotal um story but she had I think she mentioned 10 cases of chronic sloppy poo rabbits, Mark, um, that she tried the usual the usual things, you know, did a basic workup on them and a faecal check for, for, for flare-up of um, parasites and um, overgrowths, um, um, put them on the bland diet, cut out most of the veggies and just put them on basic oat and hay and um, remo- and then even remove the, any supplements of the good quality pellets that they may have been on and just had them on the oat and hay. And they were still still not responding um, to, to, um, to that therapy. And she put them all on just lucerne hay. Mm. And nine... Nine out of ten of them, um, the condition resolved. Um, so her theory, and I missed, I missed the end of it, but her theory was that, um, and she put up a bit of a question very early on, which is quite thought provoking, and I, I still haven't thought my way through it, and um, whether or not I, whether or not I um, um, agree with the theory is that. Um, Perhaps there is a possibility that rabbits may have gluten intolerance, as Mark was what she said, um, based on that, because it, she was switching them from oat and hay to, to loose and hay, and I presume what she means there is, you know, the oats with the gluten and all that sort of thing. So, um, But there's no way to particularly test for it, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the dramatic result was that nine out of ten of these long-term sloppy drop-in rabbits responded to a shift of hay to a completely different type of hay, um, which was the lucerne hay. Um, so, 
Yeah, that was quite an interesting one, and I think that one needs more work as far as more people digging into it and some more, you know, because there's something going on there, that's, if that's the well, case. I think the, there's two things point? I wanted to say about that. The first one is that um, this, that's one of the wonderful things about the AVA and, to a certain extent, the UPAV conference, that um, speakers within a scientific context um, can present those hypotheses um, to a supportive but critical audience, and um, and it, I'm sure that uh, that some of those ideas um, will, you know, maybe not immediately lead to a specific uh, new fact or new uh, protocol or understanding of disease, but it just triggers new thoughts. Um, and I think it's an excellent uh, environment, an excellent location, an excellent forum. Um, for those, uh, you know, I, I always like to emphasise how um, how in personally I've found um, the community of UPAV at their conference or at the AVA conference very supportive, Brendan. Um, so I think that's the first thing to say. Um, the second thing is that yes. um, I... I, I um, we did... Oh, is that an award? I've lost. Now I've got. Uh, let's go. What is going on in your that. voice, Brendan? Were you trying to produce sound effects to my dramatic? <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want to know what happened? Just then? hang on a sec. Let me t- let me turn off the birds. Yep. Is that better? <laughs> This is gonna this is gonna be the craziest podcast we've ever done, Mark. Look, this is podcast number eighty three, and I think I, I was thinking we were getting close to being the perfect <laughs> podcasters, Mark. But I think we've gone back to, to square one. Now, what I was what I was actually trying to do was I, I had two windows open here. The nerd that I am, I have I've got, I've got two screens going, as you know, um, in my back room, my my podcast studio here, and I was trying to look up the the program for the AVA conference, but I hadn't clicked out of the other screen, so I just started randomly clicking on the sound effects <laughs> instead. So my my apologies for that. Um, well, it it was probably appropriate. To at least liven up the things I was saying. Um, I, I, I do. Uh, there's, there's a lot of um, science to do with that theory. I, I don't discount it out of hand. Um, I do think um, gluten, being the protein component um, of the seed of various um, oaten and wheat-like plants. Um, it certainly could cause, you know, there's a whole lot of, if the rabbits are getting significant amount of those seeds, enough of those seeds to uh, to generate a gluten intolerance, um, then there are certainly other things that might well contribute to diarrhea. Um, and most of the oat and hay that I see yes. has occasional seed heads in it. By and large, they've been uh, harvested off, and what is sold as the hay is the is the um, stalky remnants after that have been um, cut after the seed heads have been harvested for other purposes. So, I don't know that I'd be entirely convinced it's a gluten intolerance. I, I uh, it's a very interesting observation that um, changing the the diet like that, and and you know, 
that uh, I'm pretty sure you do the same. I tend to steer people away from lucerne hay because of its high protein, high calcium, low fiber, um, low phytosilicate containing formulation. Um, Funny you should say that, Mark, because you did address or start to address, yeah, just as I was about to head off to to catch my plane, which was delayed. Um, yeah, she mentioned that p- perhaps the concern about the high calcium is, is not much of a concern. Um, and then I think there was a little bit of a, a debate with with her and um, another exotic set, Anne Fowler, who was there, Mark, who, and I started to have a bit of a one-on-one discussion in um to the crowd there um, about about um, about things like calcium content and 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 fiber and protein content. Um, f- interestingly enough, they did not mention the the silicate matter, and, and I know that's something I sort of concentrate on that the that the um, that those, the lucerne hay doesn't have as an abrasive effect um, when when they're chewing it, but also. Um, throughout the gut as well, I think it um, is not quite as good as far as that fibre content um, and the matter that's within that. Um, I mean, what my thought is that, you know, maybe there's just enough. I don't know why, but I've never particularly liked oat and hay um, as, as a recommendation for for the rabbit clients that I that I see. Um, I, I just I just don't think it's a, a great hay to feed um, to feed the um, the pet rabbits, Mark. So yeah, maybe there's something just not NQR not quite right about oat and hay that can contribute to it, whether it is the gluten effect or something else. I I do not know, but yeah, it was certainly a thought provoking um, presentation. And, and Jerry is I, pretty good um, at. Um, pulling those thought-provoking ideas out of left field. And I love that um, we've got uh, people in our UPAV community who do that. Um, so, yeah, interesting. And I, and I was a te- I missed her very her introduction there, although she did say, oh, I'm glad Brendan's here because I've got lots of dad jokes um, here. So I don't know whether that was an insult or not. Um, but yeah, so but I um, I missed the end of it, so I don't know what her final summary was. So I'll have to catch up with her soon about that, which uh, I probably will. At that, we're going to, there's going to be a rabbit, a one day rabbit um, conference or seminar for clients and vets and um, owners. What did Mike um, talk about, Brendan? And um, well, okay, so the other ones were um, so um, Courtney from University of Melbourne um, did reproductive disease in pet birds. Um, and a um, bit of a title, a bit like what I'd say, is it a problem of the chicken or the egg um, was her, was, was her um, summary there. but um, And she had the most amazing, most amazing stand-in lateral of a, of a chalk, of a chicken um, with a fluid line um, across the whole um, chicken. It was just amazing. So, um, yeah, so the most dramatic fluid line I've ever seen in my life. Um, so, yeah, she had a good, a, a, a good summary of that which was a 15 minute one which um you know it's a lot to cover so she just sort of touched on on the highlights um jane wesson who's finishing her phd on um um, sunshine virus with um with um with tim hyman in in perth um so she spoke about tips on sunshine virus in pythons um and testing although interesting the, the whole um sunshine virus the um born virus these um the wonderful things that uh, Tim's discovering, oh, they just, you, you diagnose them and that's the end. <laughs> what, do you, 
What do you do? Yeah, what do you do? It's yeah, it's tricky, and they just keep finding <laughs> more. Stop, just stop doing it. Is what I say. Well, a um, bit of a typo in the program there, Mark. Um, Python spelt P H Y T H O N S. Pythons. Um, so I've got a bit of a lisp today um, with Phythons. Um, so that was Jane. That was good. Um, then, yeah, Kelly's How to Approach the Neurological Rabbit. Um, and, um, again, that was excellent. I missed out on Nicole's um, talk, Nicole Sue, which was distinguishing between hypomotility and obstruction in the inappetent rabbit. And um, because I, was head- I headed off to... Um, quickly check out and um, um, make sure I refill all the little um, all the little um, bottles in the in the mini bar mark um, that needed refilling before I paid my bill um, then Jerry was up next which we've spoken about and I missed the last two talks which was which was um, Anne Fowler um, spoke about water quality in freshwater turtles and the final one was common avian presentations in veterinary practice by mike cannon who's a stalwart and and he's i think he's been the treasurer of our group since um since it began um 14 yeah 15 years ago or so um so yeah a really good a really good mix um so that was our um our stream on the tuesday i did manage to sneak in um in between going around the trade which we'll chat about a little bit before we finish um, um about some of the trade stands i did i did see a couple of other um other streams mark i went uh, and poked my head in one of the small animal streams um and i managed to see one of the um one of the plenaries which i found quite um quite um interesting um it was a you know no, nothing particularly new but it was it was um extremely well presented and that was um the plenary on the science of vet talk by cindy adams um from from canadia um, and cindy um cindy spoke the science about of vet talk yes so the science of you know how to deal how, how to chat to clients and just 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 the sorts of things that we've spoken about several times um but in a more eloquent way than the way she presented it so making sure you explain things to clients the simple things like say dispensing um, medications and how to how to give medications to the client you need to say it several times um you know have the receptionist also go through it with them and and and, and constantly say to them look you know are, are you do you understand what i'm saying about how to give the pill to your dog um and and not second guessing clients with you know t- sending home medications for four times a day and, and the client works 12-hour shifts you know and there's no way they can give it four times a day and you don't you don't quiz them on it and um stopping during the com conversation during the consultation and and summarizing things for the client and and saying look do you understand um do do you have any questions so far and and, and just the whole so the science of dealing with with the consultation and, and making sure you listen to clients and you give them time to 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 voice their concerns about their their pet and their 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 um oh, geez, their I wish I'd heard that um, yeah, because that's a topic that I'm really passionate about that communication in the consult room and it, it it was excellent it was excellent and um she 
you know, and, and the reason why she called it the science of vet talk is that um, a lot of this, and she's done a lot of the research where they've, you know, it's actual published research in, in journals about the whole process of reten- retention of, of things yeah, you say, well, well, um, or you've, you've, you've been spoken to rather than spoken at, you know. She should have just listened. Like, you could have helped her out with some sort of much clickbaitier title than that. There could have been, like, that, that just would have <laughs> turned people away at the door. She needed something you know, to get people in that was, you know, a bit 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 not quite as dry as that. You should have like straightened her out there, Brendan. Oh no, she was she was very good. So yeah, I managed to see that. And in between, well, in between, you know, I'm I'm always running at these conferences. I don't know why. Um was was trying Try to, to see the trade, trying to catch up with some of the Trying to schmooze a bit, um, catching up with a few of the trade people to um, organise some trade representation at our upcoming conference, Mark, our exotics conference, which will be held here in Melbourne later this year. Um, so, so making sure they're all heading over, but also chatting too. And this was quite good because our three sponsors for the Vet Gurus were there, Mark, and they had a combined booth, a trilogy a trilogy of terror it was. It was the three of them, Mark, in a row. So it was um, Specialised Animal Nutrition, um, F10 Products and Microchips Australia were, were all in the same booth at the exhibition. So as you could imagine, I did spend a fair bit of time at that booth in between in between sessions and even during sessions actually um, and during the lunch breaks as well. So we had, had quite a good time and, and um, we did end up, um, as it tends to happen, heading out to um, dinner um, on two of those nights and um, they were kind enough to um, pay for one of the dinners at um, quite an upmarket restaurant, Mark, um, that we went to that um, Andrew from F10 decided to order from the drinks menu. And, gee, I'm glad he ended up paying for the bill because he was he was picking out $150 wines yes, left, right, and centre. He was a man of, um, um, no, um, of some exquisite taste, and that's no doubt the reason that um, he searched around myriad podcasts and selected ours to be supported. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so they were there and they they um, were enjoying themselves and and I did manage to have a um, well uh, to talk Doug into um, lending me one of the products from Microchips Australia and I have it right in front of me here and it is called the Live Trek which is the GPS tracker Mark and I I went online and I activated it yesterday so he has I think he's got so. He has four of these, I think. There's one for pets, which is a little, you know, disc-type structure you can put on your pet. And and basically it has a SIM card in there. It's a GPS, and it has a SIM card in there, and and you can have a little app on your phone or your computer, and you can track where your dog is. So if it went on, you know, if you're out and um, a member of the family said they walked the dog, um, you could jump online and look up the tracker and say, hey, you didn't walk the dog. It's been sat in the backyard all, all afternoon. Um, but the tracker I have is one that you can put in, well, virtually anything, I think, and, and it's made to put in important equipment or in your car and um, that way you can see if your car's um, moving or not. Whether you're in it or not. If it... Um, 
whether you're in it or not, and um, and it's moving and you're not in it, then you can track it. And um, he 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 did tell me, I don't know whether it was a true story or not, of, of of somebody who turned up to the local police station and said, "Hey, my car's been stolen," and it had one of Microchips Australia's trackers in there. And um, they followed it online, and the uh, Mr. Policeman and Mrs. Policeman followed it round and, and arrested the the perpetrators. Mark, so um, yeah, quite interesting. The, so I activated it last night and I set up the sim, and, and um, it was, and I, and I looked where it was. I looked on the map, Mark, and it said my tracker was in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, I believe that that's because that's where it's manufactured is in Taiwan and it hadn't left the factory because the, the SIM activation hadn't um, occurred yet and um, I looked on the, the notes about the SIM activation and it did say it can take up to two to four hours and fair enough, um, this morning when I checked where the tracker was it was located in our house, Mark, so it was so, good so, so, so what but I left it at home I left it at home. Well, that's the thing I don't like about it, and I will have to review this, and, and I know Doug will be listening to this. Um, it needs to be a bit smaller than this because I've got to try and secrete this somewhere in Jane's um, Jane's car um, or Jane's. I was going to try. She's got – I can't believe the height of her shoes, Mark. Um, she's got um, some wedges. She's already pretty tall without know, those, probably- those, those shoes on. She's, she's- – Oh, that's just because I'm so small um, and she looks big. Um, the wedges are huge that she has. So carve I'm thinking out. I could, Use your wood uh, you know, get a little carve out yeah. a little cavity. Yeah. Because aren't most of those wedges just cork? I reckon we could just get a bit of a corkscrew in that and just carve it out and I'll put it back in and, and, and glue it in because I think I need to put it in something like that because I, I, I want to find out whether she's actually going to the musical music festivals that she is saying she's going to or whether she's ended Look, up think, somewhere else. I think um, just one, uh, when it comes to parenting and particularly parenting young women, um, I am way out of my depth. But that doesn't <laughs> stop me from offering this piece of advice. I think sometimes you're better off not knowing. Trust them and let them do what they're going to do. Anyway, my tip is um, these devices, you know what I think the market is for them? I think it's uh, um, like obviously, you know, cars and motorbikes and all that sort of stuff. People worry if they're going to be stolen. But, geez, um, the one that that, uh, a couple of relatives of mine have had their $12,000, you know, road bike knocked off and – and they're, yes, they're perfect, perfect for this yeah. purpose. They can be, like you said, secreted um, in a number of locations on those bikes. They probably double the weight of the damn things. Um, but, um, but yeah, they definitely mean that the investment in a very high-quality vehicle to carry your, uh, your routine mammal around the streets, when that goes missing, it can be located and like... Yeah, well, they, no, they only... Yeah, they only... They only weigh a couple of hundred grams if that mark and and the car ones that there's a there's a battery one which I have um, but the, there is one that you can hardwire into the car battery and I presume you could 
do the same for a, for a motorbike battery so you don't never need to charge it otherwise you have to charge it every i think they last up to a couple of weeks or so i mean yeah just thinking through what you said about jane there mark um and and and, and trying to track my daughter i think it won't work because doug did mention that that they do have an anti-shock function there so um you, you you can add people to the account. So if if it was installed in a car, which which a couple of them are specifically designed to do, if the car's in a sudden accident where there's a sudden deceleration or acceleration, that it sets off the the emergency beacon and it sends an em- it sends a little email alert to to people. So you know, and my concern there will be going off all the time because you know if it's if it's rocking, don't bother knocking as as my daughter says. <laughs> Um, yes, so enough said, Mark. Um, I don't think I'll put it in Jane's um, car after all of that. So, yeah. but I think it would be. Yeah, yes. I think we won't. I think we should stop there. Um, what else did you see, Brendan? I think it would work. All, trying to change. I think. It, I think it, these could work quite well for protecting valuable veterinary equipment Good as tip. well. You know, so if you're in a a, a crime prone area like Newcastle, um, you may want to put it on your, you know, anaesthetic machine or your, I think or your, a, um, if you, if you're, what if you're a horse, yeah, if you're, if you're a horse bed out um, doing, doing radiographs in the field, you could attach it to the back of the um, digital, um, the DR X-ray machine, which is not an, in, in um, a, a small amount of money that would be going. I think it's a topic style. for the future crime fighting for the veterinary practice. I reckon we're on to that, Brendan. What else did you see? What other uh, in yes. the, the um? I love those halls. It gives me like I always, I always feel a little bit nervous when I for, first walk, walk into the great hall, um, the towering cavernous cave full of uh, manufacturers and um, uh, and uh, suppliers for the veterinary industry. But once you've been in there for a little bit, it does. You just sort of feel at home, I reckon, and um, particularly with. Uh, uh, our wonderful sponsors in the one location. Geez, it would have been fun. But what else did you see, Brendan? Yeah, well, I did end up buying a couple of things, which, well, they won't come until another few weeks, but one is, uh, and I presume you have these, Mark, I, I, I ended up purchasing my first oxygen generator, um, and I presume oh, you have them in your practice. Oxygen. but. Uh, Oh, okay. So I've, I've purchased one of the portable oxygen generators. So, and I will just probably have it just connected to the anesthetic machine because it can, um, majority of them these days can power an anesthetic machine. Um, some of them can't. I think you have to be careful about which ones you purchase because of that. Um, but it's portable. It's just on wheels, like a, a, a mini little, um, air conditioning unit. Um, you know, that's probably only half a metre high, if that, and um, I can then um, wheel it out the back in our small clinic and then provide some oxygen therapy into a into a little um, cage for an animal that's, that, that requires it without having to lug around the oxygen cylinder. So I'm really looking forward to using that. Um, and I did look at, although I haven't purchased one yet, you did mention... Um, um, loops, um, surgical loops or, or, or loops that um, have a um, little light on the mark. And I did try on a couple of those little head headbands that have the um, little lights and the surgical loop attachments to them. And um, they were quite groovy. And I almost pulled the trigger on, on purchasing one of them. And I, I have a feeling that um, during one of the happy hours, I, I committed to 
a rep um, come into my practice <laughs> sometime in the near future. Um, and the third the thing territory. that um, – yes, yes, at Humpty Doo. Um, the final thing I think I committed to um, in a rash decision, which um, I may or may not regret, is to a um, biochemistry oh, machine wow. um, trial. So um, we were having some issues with our Abaxis um, um, biochem machine which is distributed by REM, REM systems in Australia which has now been purchased by um, Zoetis oh so it's sort of a three-tiered um, process here Mark so Zoetis is the Australian people but it's still um, serviced by REM systems um, which it services the Abaxis machine so it's a, a three-tiered thing which makes it a bit tricky but our machine died a few weeks ago but anyway they're in the process of fixing that I won't bore you with that um, so I was having a little bit of a poke around the alternatives and and one is the the biochem machine from IDEX a catalyst machine and I and I it has a couple of good things going for it which I may chat about sometime in the future so so yeah there's there lots of and lots of other little bits and pieces that um as as you as you do um see in the conference mark all these little surgical in instruments that you see that you think gee that'll be fun to play with so I think that's the key of attending a conference in person rather than just doing virtual you know, um, webinars, etc. Um, that you get to chat to people for face to face. You get to network. You get to catch up with friends, and um, you get to actually physically touch all of these um, instruments and equipment. And um, I think that's a big positive, um, and it's why we should continue to go to um, um, actual conferences and, and face to face. Um, I thought you were going to say that you physically touch these people. Yes, I could. I could hear you. I could hear your mind <laughs> go in there, Mark. And um, yeah, I'm. 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 Not, I'm not saying nothing about um, what happened. Um, what stays in Perth? Um, what happens in Perth stays in Perth, as far That's as I, as far That's as I know. Um, yes, it is. Well, I think on that note, Mark. Um, yeah, there's a few other things I might chat about, but we might do that over the next few weeks. Um, I think it's time to say. Huru from the gurus and we'll talk to you all next time thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vet